Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It starts now. Well, hello and welcome, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, there's some questions I have and some answers you may be trying to piece together. And I think together we're kind of going to get there. But it all depends on the police in Kansas City. Because the mystery is how three grown men could have a lovely Sunday evening and end up frozen and dead in the backyard of their friend's house when he don't see them for two full days afterwards. Now, you and I both know we can get a little sleepy, a little bored, a little Netflixy, and we can really chill for a little too long. But 48 hours, not once looking out your window to the backyard. Now, I would have said up until just a few hours ago, sure, not everybody has a good view out the backyard, but now I know what Jordan Willis's view to his backyard really was. And you're about to know, because I'm going to take you into, into the shots inside his home to see the windows facing outside of his home. Here's a hint. There were six. That's just the downstairs windows facing the backyard. Six. There were two more upstairs facing out to the backyard. That makes eight. Now, I don't know about you, I have some of my windows closed, the blinds, the windows, the curtains. Sometimes I close them. But all of them, day after day after day, this is starting to get hinky. Like it wasn't hinky already. I'm going to give you those photos in a minute, and guess what else? I'm going to give you an exclusive tour of Jordan Willis's backyard, the place where those three men were found dead. Did they die there? Did they freeze to death or was it something else? When you see the porch that doesn't exist, you might have some further questions. And once you see the view, the room with the view, the rooms with the view, you may have a lot more questions. All of that is coming ahead. And there's one other thing. I don't pay a lot of attention to weather unless it's just like what I'm doing. <laughs> I certainly wasn't paying attention to the weather in Kansas City, but now I am because I have the weather reports for Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And there are some very bizarre clues in the weather reports as well. I'll leave it at that, but you should know that there is snow involved. That's coming ahead in just a moment. And also, you probably thought Scott Peterson was dead and gone once they bring the, you know, gavel down and say death penalty. Yeah, you get your appeals, but really, when does that work? So it turns out that there might have been a lot of people who were kind of wrong. I'm not saying Scott Peterson isn't guilty. I'm saying there were people who made big mistakes, like totally didn't even know about one massive mistake. If you've been hearing a couple of like headlines about what's this with the van, I already know about the van. There was a van, it was cleared. Guess what? You were wrong too. I was wrong. The cops were wrong. There were two vans. And tonight, Laura Engel 
is actually on the trail of that van. She has tracked down the owner of the second mysterious van, the one that cops didn't know about, or at least sure didn't look at. She drove the route from the Peterson's house to where that van was found burned out. Again, nobody seemed to care. It was just about a mile. She's going to join us tonight and show you what she has found. And if this is a piece of the puzzle, if it's a key to Scott Peterson's cell, it's big news. And you know what? I'm not the only one who thinks so. The Innocence Project in L.A. thinks so, too. They were some pretty smart lawyers. So I know we're on to something. Okay, and then the whole Vince McMahon thing. Listen, when I was a kid, the thing that we did with my dad was we watched wrestling. And back then, we thought it was real. (laughs) That's how old I am. (laughs) Yeah, over the years, we started to learn it wasn't, you know, and we were okay with it. It was still a good show, right? Very scripted, but what a show. And then the show got massive. Then the show wasn't just, you know, wrestling once a week with your dad. Uh, it was like, it was like the biggest cable show in TV. So the guy who's the godfather of it all, Vince McMahon, is, you know, he's, he's a god of wrestling. But gods on earth are real fallible. Not the big guy, but the littler gods. And how do we know that? Because these two ladies are now weighing in. The Bella Twins. You know them. Famous, huge, massive. They're weighing in on the Vince McMahon disaster. If you're, like, just catching up, there's a really, really steamy, gross, filthy, disgusting, poo-filled lawsuit. Real poo. So, disgusting. I mean, we're talking sex trafficking, sexual assault, rape, abuse, all of it. And it involves a member of their family. Yeah, married into the Bella Twins family. Uh, we got their statement, and we've got something else for you tonight, something uh, we didn't think we were going to get. We sure didn't think anyone was going to hear, and that is a female wrestler, a, a major star in female wrestling currently, has given us her thoughts on this unbelievable lawsuit against Vic, Vince McMahon and, and the allegations of pervasive, disgusting abusive, filthy behavior behind the walls of the WWE. I'm going to share it with you tonight. That's coming up in just a few moments. First, though, um, the, I don't know how else you describe it, mysterious deaths of those three Kansas City men, the the KC Chiefs fans, you know, um, they, they don't have much in common with the Idaho student murders that were committed 14 months ago, except for the mystery. But in both of those cases, the house where the victims died could be a major clue. One thing that these cases don't have in common, though, police in Kansas City say there were no signs of foul play when David Harrington, Ricky Johnson, and Clayton McGinney died. And they insist that the deaths are, quote, 100% not being investigated as a homicide. 100% not being investigated as a homicide. I know it's weird, but they say Jordan Willis, who's the guy whose house where this all happened, the house where they all died after watching football together all evening, January 7th, Jordan Willis is not a suspect of theirs, at least for now. And also, at least for now, they are accepting his story, that he was asleep on his couch for most of the 48 hours that his friends were 
how should we say, unaccounted for, that he had no idea what happened to them, or that they were, like, just out back, dead and frozen, outside the many, many windows of his home. I'm going to get to the windows in a second. Wait till you see it. But we do know this. We know that the cops were suspicious of Jordan Willis right away, to the tune of handcuffs and a ride to the station the night that the cops showed up there. If you were watching last night on our show, a neighbor shared this video on your screen right now. He didn't know what was going on. He just started to roll tape because what's going on? Cops outside my door? Ambulance? What up? But he got a shot of Jordan Willis at his front door in handcuffs. And this was just minutes after the police found the bodies in the backyard. January 9th, two days after they had gone for the night to have some fun. So Jordan's cuffed. And he was uncuffed, and he was put in a police car, and he was driven away. While the police searched his house room to room with a flashlight. One of the victim's brothers told News Nation last night that the body of David Harrington was found frozen in a seated position in a lawn chair on the back porch. If you were watching us last night, we went on at length about that. But there, it turns out, is no back porch That's the weird part. There's no back porch out back. There is a stone patio. Okay, that's different. Look at that. Stone patio out in the backyard. Pavers. No porch. That's the whole backyard. Look at that. There's no porch anywhere. Maybe it's just semantics, and maybe someone just said porch patio, patio porch. But Johnson and McGeevy's body, that brother said, were frozen and laid out flat in that yard. What is far from clear is how these three men died. Was it hypothermia? Was it something else? Was it drugs? Which brings me back to that house. The house is a rental, and Jordan Willis does not live there right now. He's fled. He took off amid all of this intense scrutiny from the case, you know, drive-bys. This is like a a a true crime uh, tourist destination now. But we do have plenty of photos of Jordan's house online. And based on the photos, the clues inside his house are off the charts. You saw the backyard. That's the front yard right there. But you saw the backyard. There's that porch. It's not a porch. It's a stone patio, flat. Um, That may be the spot where David Harrington was found dead, seated in the lawn chair. That's what we can only assume at this point. But look and count. Six big windows facing that porch, patio, facing the entire backyard, including a massive sliding glass door over there on the right. The The thing that juts out. That's like a room, like a, it looks like a TV room, looks like a breakfast nookie place, but it's, that's a sliding glass door. They're big, and they face right to that patio. All those other windows on the main floor, one, two, door is three, kitchen window's the high one, four, the sliders are five, and then if you can peek around the corner there, facing straight out back, that's six. Six on the bottom, two more up top, eight, all looking at that frozen patio and the whole backyard. So unless Willis had all of those blinds closed on every one of those windows or curtains pulled as well, it's pretty hard to miss. You're looking out those sliders right there. You can see the kitchen window. There's the kitchen looking straight out. There's a lot of windows. Huge. It would be really hard to miss three dead bodies on the other side of those windows, especially one seated in a chair Right at that patio, you can see the pavers out the window. Look at that. That's the sliders. You can see the pavers. Maybe he was sitting right under that kitchen window. Maybe you wouldn't see it if you were at the sink. But you'd see it there. 
Because to the right of that slider is the kitchen window up high. Two days? You walk by all those windows? Let's just talk about the weather for a second as you're contemplating the view out those windows. The records show that on Sunday, January 7th, that's the day of the, the football game, Kansas City had a high of 37. You're not going to freeze at 37. It's cold, but it's not, not going to freeze. But the low was 29. And there was a little bit of rain and snow. And the next day, Monday, the high was 39, a little warmer. Tuesday, the next day after that, January 9th, the high was 34. Again, two degrees above freezing. But the low was pretty low. It was 22. And there was just under an inch of snow. That's not a lot, but could a light dusting of snow have made it harder to spot the bodies in the backyard from all those windows? Here's another question for you. To the higher temperatures on Monday and Tuesday of 34 and 39, respectively, does that mean that the men died Sunday night before it started warming up? Did they possibly die of something other than freezing? As for the possibility of drugs... An epidemiologist tells the New York Post this, and I quote, there are dozens of potential prescription drugs that when combined with alcohol could cause a level of sedation that would lead to ultimately freezing to death. Okay, makes sense. Still a mystery. This certainly could be consistent with opioids, benzodiazepines, antihistamines, barbiturates, and muscle relaxants. Now you got me. Let's go to News Nation's Alex Capriello. He's live in Kansas City where he has been digging at this story all day. And the one thing that you got that I have been dying to see, Alex Capriello, is a view. A view not just from those windows, but from your own eyes at that entire backyard. Tell me about it. Yeah, I think it's really important for to actually see this view because it gives a little bit more perspective of what that backyard looked like uh, on that night. Uh, that these three men's bodies were found. Uh, I was able to get this from the public access road, public land, able to see into that backyard and shoot this video. And when you take a look at it closely, uh, there's one thing in particular I want to point out, and that's actually the lawn chairs, right? We know from David Harrington's family that Harrington was found right there in that lawn chair, the other two men's bodies actually laying down on the ground. But look, you can see when I zoom in on this video, the two lawn chairs sitting right there, right there on the patio, right? So that gives us some perspective of how David Harrington's wow. body was found, where it was specifically on that patio. Wait, hold on. Now, to your hold point on, that you've been Alex. making all those windows. Wait, wait, wait. Before you go move ahead. on, don't, don't, because this is insane. I'm going to ask our director to blow that picture up full screen and take us off the screen because I was thinking about this. That's the kitchen window up high. Those chairs, one of them, is kind of below the kitchen window and out of the view of that door, right? That white door. So if he was dead in that chair, right. you could definitely say you didn't see him out the kitchen window. You didn't see him out that white door. You didn't see him out the two windows to the left. You should have seen him out of the sliders, right? Except there's a curtain rod over the sliders. And it is entirely possible that the curtains were pulled on those sliders and you would not see him from the, the, the windows on the right to the right of the sliders. So it is possible if only one window, those the big sliding glass doors had curtains pulled, you might not miss. Were you able to see in that sliders if there were curtains there or if there were big blinds that might have been pulled? Could you get a view of that? 
I couldn't say for certain to you, Ashley. What I can tell you is that almost all of these windows have some level of blinds on them. As for specifically that slider glass door, to my eyes right now, it does not appear as if there is anything blocking the way. Of course, time has passed. Um, the police have been inside there, not to mention we believe the homeowner's been inside since Jordan moved out. So things might have been rearranged or changed or, you know, blinds drawn or blinds open. Uh, but at Based on what I can tell, there was nothing right there directly blocking it. I think about these lawn chairs, right? When you think of lawn chairs, a lot of times I think about, like, you know, ones that really lay flat. Uh, that's not the case from what I can tell. These look like they belong with, like, a larger table. You could sit and have supper there, you know what I mean? So a large man sitting in a tall chair feels like it would be something that would be very noticeable to the eye. Uh, now, whether or not, like you said, those blinds were closed or the windows were drawn, you know, we don't know. But I, I think that was really important just to point out that those are the chairs that we believe David Harrington died in. And, you know, I'm looking at both of them, the position of both of them. If he died in the one on the left, easily you could miss that through all of those windows on, right. you know, the, the, the back of the house, not the addition. I'm not going to call it. I'll call it an addition. The jutting out sliding glass door part of the house. I think right. it's a breakfast nook or something. Easily, he could be missed there. If he was over in the chair that's right... Again, can I blow that picture up big for the whole screen? It's just to ask our director to, to take the two of us off, because I just want to get a closer look. Yeah, thank you. So if he's now sitting in the chair that's butted up against the sliders, and the windows have curtains on them, because I did see a curtain rod. I did see a curtain rod when I went through the, the pictures inside that house. Um, you could miss him there, too. I mean, out the kitchen window... You could, it's a little harder to miss him there, right? Because it's not right underneath the window. It's just right. slightly out. But I'm not getting, like, I'm getting a, a 1D perspective. Did you get a 3D perspective on that? Yeah, it, it might be worth another glance uh, to go back there and see. But uh, I see your point, and I see how it might be possible to, to miss out on uh, somebody that might be sitting there. But to me, the, the, this is a large backyard, um, it's a large patio. It's hard to see in this 2D format, to your point. But, but really, just the thought of three people out there, two laying on the ground, one sitting upright in a chair, it's just really hard for me to believe that it's not, if anybody glanced out there, from any of the six other windows, right? From upstairs, from downstairs, the kitchen, or the sliding glass in the breakfast nook, as you call it, right? There's so many opportunities for anyone. True. If it snowed over the weekend, aren't you going to look outside and see how much snow came down? Maybe. But, uh, you know, but, there's but just there's, so many opportunities. You, got, you, you know get, what? That's the other thing. Maybe there was a light dusting of snow and it was less visible. Or maybe, here's another question for you. Those, those windows that face out the back, what are they looking at past the yard? Are there neighbors that they're looking right at? Because if I'm getting dressed in those windows upstairs, those, those windows are closed. I've got blinds on them. And very often, Alex, in my house, I keep the blinds closed even in the day in my bedroom, you know, because potentially people could see in. Do you know what those windows look directly across to? Are there other neighbors? No. So basically where I'm shooting this video from, you see in the foreground those uh, tall grass. Um, you know, that's right where the road is. And that's where I'm standing on, on the road. Uh, so it is public land, but there's not much of a vantage point from that. You've got to kind of get up on your toes in order to see into that backyard. But uh, the point is that there is not much visibility. When you look out from those upper floor windows out, you see uh, the larger road to and from the interstate that leads to downtown Kansas City. One last question for you. Criminal background checks. I know you've been busy looking into the criminal background check of Jordan Willis, but also the fifth 
person who was there who apparently left at midnight and saw everybody alive. His name was Alex Weimer Lee. What did you discover about criminal backgrounds on those two? Yeah, so we performed uh, criminal background checks on both of those men. Alex Weimer Lee actually showed up uh, with nine hits on his criminal report. Uh, a variation of different criminal charges that he has, um, you know, had uh, punishment for. Uh, we're talking about possession of marijuana, possession of drug paraphernalia, possession of liquor uh, by a minor, not to mention several other traffic citations. Uh, but a lot on that actual background check. Now, when it comes to Jordan Willis, the person that's at the center of so much speculation, we did not find any criminal background hits uh, on that background check, uh, which certainly says something. At the same time, I want to also share that just like, you know, speaking to family members here of the victims, speaking to the former classmates of these young men, they tell me that these three victims that died, McGinney, Harrington, and Johnson were close, right? They were best friends since high school. They all went to high school together. Now, Jordan was sort of the odd man out. He wasn't necessarily a part of the crew. He didn't share that same bond that these, these you know, so-called brothers had. That being said, he was partying with them. He was uh, watching Kansas City Chiefs games. So he was a part of it. He was an acquaintance, but it's clear that he was not in that same level of friendship that the other guys were. I have another question for you. I know now from um, one of the victims father and stepmother that they are invited to attend a meeting tomorrow with the county prosecutors where mm -hmm. this this home is located do you know anything about like are the are the prosecutors gathering families to give them a heads up or maybe to share toxicology before they share it with the rest of us do you have any idea why prosecutors again Jordan Willis isn't charged, right? But prosecutors are reaching out to right. meet with the families in this county. Any, any clue? No, I also heard that, and I'm very, very interested to see what these prosecutors come up with and why they're sharing what they're sharing with these families. What I will tell you is Kansas City PD is the one who's leading this investigation. And I was hounding them today, Ashley, just trying to get any sort of details from them, asking for interviews, asking for updates, and really, they're not saying a word. About these toxicology reports, they get handed over to a third party called Frontier Forensics. They handle all of the cor uh, coroner business for Kansas City PD and other police departments across the Midwest. So Kansas City PD is saying right now, look, it's all in the hands and the timeline of Frontier Forensics. We are not going to release any information to these families until the medical examiner's report is complete. That's what Kansas City Police told me today, because I wanted to know, look, you got to know something. Are you going to share any information, preliminary toxicology reports, with the victim's families, just to give them some sense of closure? And they really just told me, we're not sharing anything until the medical examiner's report comes in. So I'm interested to see what this prosecutor has to say. And they had said, look, they had said... Um Talks can take six to eight weeks for any case. They said this is no higher priority than any case out there. Baloney. Baloney. The, the scrutiny on the cops right now is thick as pea soup. And the scrutiny on poor Jordan, if he's innocent, is completely unfair. But do we think that they are yeah. rushing that toxicology? We were only at a little past three weeks, right? Like this, this coming Sunday, it'll be four weeks. Uh, do we think we're going to get it a little faster than um, the average bear? 
That's a great question. I think uh, the number that I keep hearing is eight weeks. Three weeks have passed. That gives me five weeks left. So we're going to wait and see what, what it actually comes out to. Hopefully it gets out sooner just for the sake of the victims' families. Anything going on in that neighborhood? I know that, you know, lots of looky-loos, lots of tourists have been coming. That happens all the time. Every time there's a big story, suddenly, you know, it becomes like a Breaking Bad house. Trust me, I've been to so many crime scenes, I know what they look like. And I'll tell you, this one's no different. A lot of people coming by, taking pictures, curious more than anything to hear my live reporting because they know that it's possible that I have a glimpse of new information that they haven't heard before. And so you I do. think everyone, <laughs> not only are they interested in just this actual place, but they just want to hear what the latest updates are. And so lots of people stopping by, just very curious, wanting to talk, wanting to chat, wanting to get the latest because everyone is very invested in this case here. Well, they're smart to come and watch you report live, honestly, because last night, it, you know, the story was just unrolling. Uh, actually, while you were on the air, you were getting interviews and wiring up neighbors uh, live on the yeah. air. And, and we broke news last night from that neighbor who said, I have a video of Jordan Willis in cuffs. So, Alex, great job out there. Couldn't Do me a favor. It. Break into the show again tonight like you did last night if you get something else like that. Really appreciate all your hard work out there. You know I will, Ashley. Thanks. Awesome job. What do you know, Alex Capriello, getting the backyard view that told us everything about where those chairs were. I do have one question. I wonder if the people who removed David Harrington's body from those chairs, whichever chair it was in, if they moved those chairs significantly or if those chairs are still where they were when he was found dead. So much to answer. Okay, Um, coming up, it was just sitting there. It was just sitting there, burned out, mostly ignored. This mysterious orange van, nobody cared. This had been stolen and torched little more than a mile from Lacey Peterson's home. And it ended up in a desolate alley on the same day Lacey Peterson disappeared, 21 years ago. But is this van the keys to Scott Peterson's cell? Can that van really set him free? Our Laura Ingle was in that alley today. She drove that route all the way from the Peterson house. She's live next with what she found. Peterson and his new band of lawyers in the L.A. Innocence Project can manage to get his 20-year-old murder conviction set aside. They may have a burned-out orange van to thank for it. As you know, Peterson has been locked away for the rest of his life in a California prison for the murder of his pregnant wife, Lacey. That was back in 2002. His conviction was based in large part on circumstantial evidence. He was caught with a Hair dye job, all blonde, his brother's ID, 15000 in cash on him, all while allegedly fleeing to Mexico. Also had a secret girlfriend. That's never good. Uh, he met that girlfriend a month before Lacey vanished. And it just so happened he told that girlfriend his wife was dead. Weeks before she actually was. But in a bombshell court filing earlier this month, the Innocence Project alleges that this orange van could be the true smoking gun. And it doesn't implicate Scott Peterson. It was found near the Modesto airport, just a little over a mile away from the Petersons' home. Christmas Day, 2002. It's the day after Lacey was last seen alive. And here is the real shocker here. The lead investigator in the murder case apparently never knew it existed. Let me just say that again. The lead investigator in the murder case did not know that this orange van existed. Here's what he said to Chris Cuomo. 
it is new information to me. I hadn't heard anything about this before. And, and if we missed it, you know, that's on us. There's always a possibility we can miss things, and we do, but that's what the system is designed for. You get a, an attorney like Mark Garagos who had a, a spectacular staff, and they were able to find great things throughout the case that, you know, helped them put their side of the case together. A couple of things I have concern about when it comes to this is, like you said earlier in the broadcast, why is this now? You know, what's where was this for the last 20 years? Peterson's always insisted that a burglary across the street from their home could be connected to his wife's disappearance. But previous descriptions of that burglary van were beige or brown. And investigators searched and cleared a van fitting that description. But never the orange one. Never the orange van. Deliberately set on fire, I should add, with an apparent bloody mattress in the back. Laura Engel has been covering all the details. She's been on the story for two decades, I should add, not just today. You traveled the route from Peterson's home to where the van was found. Take me there. Take me to what you found. Hey, Ashley. Yeah, we wanted to take a look at this because, you know, many of us covering this case had heard about the tan or the white or the brown van, but never about this orange van. We still don't know if it is connected, but it is important to note it was very close to Scott and Lacey Peterson's home, former home in Modesto. It only took us about six minutes to get there. Here's what we found. We're outside the former home of Scott and Lacey Peterson's home in Modesto, 523 Covina. We want to show you directly across the street. That's 516, known as the Medina home, a family that used to live there that had a burglary happen right around the time frame of Lacey Peterson's disappearance. A lot of talk about an orange van that was found burned out just a mile away. And now the L.A. Innocence Project wants to know, could all of that be connected? One of the working theories is that Lacey Peterson came out of this house right here, 523 Covina, and there was a burglary in progress right across the street at 516. So we're going to make that drive to see where the van would have gone. It's about a mile away over to this alleyway where this burnt out orange van was located. This is the alley where the orange van was discovered December 25th, 2002. The van was found right here, fully engulfed in flames, about a mile away from Scott and Lacey Peterson's home. This is in a notorious, dangerous area of town. And now some wonder if evidence found inside that van could hold a critical clue to this case. And, you know, we've been looking at the photos of that van. And what was really interesting, Ashley, when we first saw the photos contained in the Los Angeles Innocence Project court document, that van was up against kind of this blue wall. There was some kind of a structure. So at first, when many of us saw the pictures for the first time, we thought, wow, that the van was found in an industrial area. But as it turns out, it was on this dirt pathway, this alleyway that goes, uh, be, you know, in between these rows of the backs of homes. And it turns out that one of those homes, the back fence, belongs to a family member of one of the burglars. Is it connected? That's what the Los Angeles Innocence Project is looking to find out. But we're talking about this burnt orange van set on fire intentionally. It was arson. We have the Modesto Fire Department report on that, the incident report. And when you look inside the back of the van, you see the burnt out mattress. And then we see this kind of red area of the mattress. And we have found out by going back to those documents filed with the LA Innocence Project that there was a gas can put on top of it when they removed it. That's why some of that was preserved. So ah. we'll wait to see what the courts 
We'll rule on that. That makes sense. I know there's a loud motorcycle there, but I heard what you said, that the gas can was on top of that, and when they removed it, that area was preserved, and that's why they might be able to actually get something out of that that, that makes sense or maybe has some DNA on it. And if it's Lacey's DNA, it is over. Scott Peterson should be released immediately. Unbelievable. Thank you, Laura Ingle. Keep, uh, keep on it and let us know what you find next. Thank you for this. I will. Thank you, Ashley. Okay, and there's that motorcycle again, so we'll jump ahead here. Um, Coming up, the world of pro wrestling, body slammed by revolting accusations of violent sexual abuse and women used as sex slaves by the man who built an entertainment empire from the ground up. Tonight, support for the victims from two women superstars of the ring. Fans know them as the Bella Twins, but their personal connection to the WWE extends well beyond the ropes. Like... The WWE married into their family. So did one of the men accused. You're going to hear what they have to say on the filthy allegations and the key thing that they're leaving out. That's next. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. People who don't know Jack about wrestling are caught up in the really sick details of the Vince McMahon WWE accusations, alleged sexual abuse, exploitation, filthy trafficking. The alleged extortion of one employee to give up her body or lose her job, that's a bad one. Uh, That employee's lawsuit, which promptly drove McMahon out of the company's uh, parent company, spells out her claims in shocking and lurid technicolor. Not sensitive uh, ears and eyes friendly. But today, two voices have emerged in support of the women of wrestling. From two women of wrestling. If you know wrestling, you know they are titans. Nikki and Brie Garcia, twin sisters who until recently wrestled in the WWE as the famous Bella Twins. There they are. You can see why they'd be huge. What a show. They released a statement, and I'm going to read it in a second, saying that they're shocked and disheartened by the accusations against Vince McMahon and the WWE. But get this. One of the men accused by name in the lawsuit is their own stepfather, the Bella Twins' stepfather. John Laurinaitis is a former wrestler and WWE executive who married the mom of the twins back in 2016. Here is the very vague statement that they put out on their social media accounts, and I'll read it. We are shocked and disheartened with the recent allegations against members of the WWE. It's been a lot to process since we found out this past week, just as you all did. This is something we don't stand for or condone from anyone, no matter who they are. We want all women to feel safe and supported in the workplace and in their everyday lives. Shocked and disheartened? Yes, should be. Understandably, but that is their own stepfather in those vile and filthy text messages, a detail not in here, not in the statement. And to be clear, Nikki and Brie are no longer wrestling in the WWE, but they were huge in the WWE at the time their stepfather allegedly, 
along with Vince McMahon, brutalized a WWE staffer named Janelle Grant. There is another female wrestler, this one still in the business, and she spoke exclusively with News Nation, and we promised to keep her name secret for now. Uh, she says, quote, I wish I could speak on the matter. Unfortunately, I cannot. It's a difficult position I'm in because I still work in the industry, and unfortunately, there's no positive on women speaking out at this time. We tried before, but we're surrounded by whispers or radio silence. I really wish I could. I'm just glad this is getting out. That's a big female celebrity wrestler who's afraid of backlash and damage to her career if she speaks up about Vince McMahon and those named alongside him. That's where I bring in Dave Meltzer. He's a wrestling and MMA reporter who edits the Wrestling Observer newsletter. So, Dave, what do you make of not only the, um, the twins, but also the, the wrestler who can't be named? I mean, it's, the, the one, you know, this whole week has been one of those weeks that just, like, uh, blows your mind because it's, um, it's just so tragic reading this and seeing that, you know, things like this happened. Even the stuff that, you know, you don't know for sure there's enough in there that would pretty much sicken anyone. So the reaction, I, I'm sure that that's the reaction of almost anyone when they read the suit. It's just, um, you know, it's horrible that it happened in the industry and so, the industry needs to clean up. Dave, or, or the people who, the people involved need to be gone. I want to get your reaction to Triple H because after the, the Royal Rumble, he was asked to comment on this whole debacle. And here's his comment. Let's roll it. Look, we just had an amazing week. I just said a 10-year, $5 billion Netflix deal. Rock joining our board. We just sold out the Royal Rumble, put 48,000 people in the Tropicana Field. Um, I choose to, to focus on the positive. And yes, there's a negative, um, but uh, I, I want to focus on that and just keep it to that. Dave Meltzer, he wants to focus on the positive. What do you make of that message? Well... I mean, of course you want to get the positives out, but there's a, there was a huge story this week. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I wish he had a, a clear statement about it. He re- I mean, I, I recognize with, with it being ongoing legal action that there's not a lot he could say. But, um, you know, it, to talk about it like this was a great week. I mean, there were great things for them this week. But overall, I wouldn't call it a great week. Yeah, there were great things and there were really horrifying uh, things. So, hey, I'm going to have you back. Dave Meltzer, thanks for doing this tonight. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. All right, still to come. um, Suspected serial killer Rex Huerman is charged with uh, the murder of four women now on Long Island. But could there be five or even more? Family of Shannon Gilbert, woman whose disappearance kicked off the massive investigation, says you bet. And their attorney joins me live next. Searching a now infamous stretch of the Long Island seafront, they found four other bodies, and they were kind of nicknamed the Gilgo Four. But it didn't end there. Later, there were six more sets of human remains that would be found in that same area. And finally, December of 2011, that's when they found Shannon. Her body was on Oak Beach, nine miles away. The Suffolk County police say Shannon drowned. There's been no alleged connection to the man now charged with the killing of the Gilgo Four, Rex Hewerman, nor any other suspect. But Shannon's family is not buying it. Here's what Shannon's sister, Stevie Smith, told News Nation's Caitlin Becker earlier. 
I think it's highly unlikely that different people all chose the same gated community to bring these women that were in the same work. It's very highly unlikely that my sister would have made a panic phone call if she was not fearful for her life. So I, I, I definitely 100% feel like things are definitely connected and there's definitely um, some answers that we need. We need these answers. And now their attorney says there is definitive evidence linking Hewerman to Shannon and possibly to other victims, too. And that attorney is John Ray. He's here live with me. What is the definitive evidence, John Ray, linking Shannon to Rex Hewerman? I wouldn't call it definitive, but what I would call it is important and enough to bear further investigation as opposed to no investigation. Uh, there's several pieces of evidence. Uh, they're all circumstantial, but substantial. And so... Okay, it's a good teaser. What are they? Yeah. Uh, they are um, such things as that Shannon had, um, according to one of our witnesses, she had met uh, Horman in uh, Sable Motor Lodge, uh, where she ran away from him. The, um, the evidence is that in her, her diary, she has a a one entry for Long Island, all the rest of them are New York City or, or, or the environment and of New York City. And it was a notice, a note of Massapequa and a name Chris. Horyman adopted common names like Tom and, uh, and Chris and that. Had that he ever used Chris that we know? Don't know. Just, we don't I don't know. know but yeah. he's used all the other ones around, you know, Matt and so forth. You also Those mentioned two, that you have new evidence connecting more victims, not just Shannon, but more victims. What's that evidence? The evidence we have are the peop people themselves who were victims of, of Rex Hoyman and have given affidavits to that effect and have appeared with me on television today uh, saying that they were victimized by him. So we have outright evidence of that. Uh, so the the they were victimized in, in what way? I mean, if, if they got their way, what kind of charge? Because they're alive. Yeah, they're alive. Well, luckily, one of them was shot by him across the back of her neck. And luckily, she survived that, you mean? She survived it, yeah. yeah. And um, there's evidence that, that that actually occurred. Other witnesses uh, were chased through the woods, uh, and still others were um, actually abused by him. And they recognize him from the now picture. I mean, he's all over the news. Yes, and he's very distinctive, so it's Is easy he to recognize. He's massive. Um, I only have a couple seconds left. Sure. Have they told police? Are the police taking it seriously? Are they talking to you? Are they using this evidence? Are they collecting it? No, not yet. They're not taking me seriously, and they should, because we've wow. just also discovered that the Horyman family that, that keeps getting written off as being innocent in this whole thing. And you don't think so? We have evidence that says absolutely not. All right. Well, this conversation hasn't ended. John Ray, will you come back again? I certainly will. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And good luck. I All hope right, that you. they start taking this evidence I seriously. Um, I am fresh out of time, but thank you so much. We had a lot of breaking news tonight, so I appreciate you sticking with me on this crazy train. Um, but stick around a little further because my crazy friend Chris Cuomo is coming up next, and I'll see you right back here again tomorrow night. Brian's going to actually show you the route. With the insider details you'll only find on News Nation. Pieces of the puzzle are starting to come together in this mystifying case. Banfield, weeknights at 10, 9 central, only on America's fastest growing cable news network, News Nation. To find News Nation on your screen, go to joinnn.com or stream News Nation on Apple CarPlay and Alexa. There's danger out there. 
It lurks on highways and quiet neighborhood streets. It's more likely to kill you than a shark and more terrifying than the biggest snake. Distracted driving claims lives every day. Every notification, swipe, social post, video, or selfie while driving risks your life. So while you might think public speaking or the zombie apocalypse is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Action! When I grew up, I want to be a director. Because they get to talk to everybody about everything. They get to make cool movies and dance music videos. If your child is sick over and over again, it could be P.I., a defect of the immune system that affects millions. Early testing can give children a chance to dream. And when I'm a director, I get to say, lights, camera, action. For more information, visit the Jeffrey Modell Foundation at infoforpi.org. That's a wrap. <laughs> Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT G-O-A-T Acronym Stands for Greatest of All Time As in Spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. The IRS is urging people to beware of ads that promise big money by claiming the Employee Retention Tax Credit. This is a real tax credit that helps businesses that were affected by the pandemic but scammers are telling people they qualify when they don't. The scammer takes a fee and your personal information. If you're not eligible for the credit, getting conned by this could cost you a lot. The IRS doesn't want that to happen to you, so check the official information at irs.gov erc. You're listening to News Nation, America's independent source for unbiased news. To get News Nation on your screen, go to joinnn.com. Are you prepared for an emergency or disaster? Because it's not a matter of if, but when. Don't find yourself saying, <laughs> When the storm rolls in, my time to find a pet-friendly evacuation center will have run out. The scorching heat wave will leave me powerless to cool my insulin. I'll face a hurricane without meds. Now that's a tough pill to swallow. Let's prepare so we all have a better story to tell. Get started at ready.gov slash older adults. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Substance use disorder and addiction is so isolating. And so as a black woman in recovery, hope must be loud. It grows louder when you ask for help and you're vulnerable. It is the thread that lets you know that no matter what happens, you will be okay. When we learn the power of hope, recovery is possible. Find out how at startwithhope.com. Brought to you by the National Council for Mental Wellbeing, Shatterproof, and the Ad Council. Would you let other people order for you? He'll have the Samoldianese. No, I won't. So why let others make decisions about your older years? Do you want your kids or perfect strangers choosing where you'll live or how your money gets spent? Uh, no. Go to longtermcare.gov and find your own path forward. It takes you step-by-step step through everything you need to consider about aging and all your options. Longtermcare.gov. Plan now to stay in charge or pay later. How about a mohawk? <laughs> Very funny. Hey, everybody, I'm Chris Cuomo. It's Tuesday. We're live. So what do you say? Let's get after it. We have more pieces of the puzzle in those Kansas City killings. Why aren't I saying Kansas City deaths? Because there's no reason to believe this happened naturally. 
And the mother of one of the victims says the whole situation has been unnatural. Tonight, she's going to announce some positive news and some insight that we haven't heard into the survival